following is a presentation of Main Street Media, your source for news, sports, and information on Main Street in Middle Tennessee. Welcome in to a Wednesday edition of Main Street Sports Today, presented by Mid-Tennessee Bone and Joint. Chris Yao alongside Mo Patton, and it is a beautiful day outside, as you can see behind me. It really is pretty, though. <laughs> what a beautiful day. It's going to be mid-70s and sunny all day long. It's just too bad that we don't have any outdoor sports to cover today, Mo. Yeah, it really is. Um, you know, we talked about this last Friday, the first weekend of the state playoffs, and how um how nice the weather was and and how we didn't think it was going to last, but it certainly has to this point. And I don't know what it's supposed to do. It's supposed to get a little cooler by the end of the week, high of 68 on Friday. But um, so whatever that means for Friday night is what that means. But yeah, we take this for sure. No question. No question. It's a, uh, it's a good day. It's it's Women Wednesday again, Mo. <laughs> Not only is it wild and wacky, but we get to talk to two of our favorite women in sports, and that is Teresa Walker and Heather Williams. Heather's going to join us at 3 o'clock Central, 4 o'clock her time, mm-hmm. uh, and talk a little NASCAR as the season ended on Sunday. Uh, unfortunately, didn't quite get the uh, result that we were hoping for, but not a bad showing from our friends at Trackhouse Racing. Um, and we'll talk about that. We'll also, uh, I don't know how much Heather can get into it, but I do want to get her thoughts on the uh, news that it appears that NASCAR's Cup race will be coming back to the Nashville Fairgrounds at least every other year, starting very soon, according to our friend Joe Williams at the Williamson Herald. Yeah, we uh, may need to um, reach out to, to get our him. local <laughs> racing expert. On this, yeah, I'm looking forward to talking about that uh, at some point in the near future once that's approved. Uh, and we'll also, uh, you know, Teresa's uh, a bevy of knowledge, so who knows what we'll talk to you about with her. Well, I'm probably sure we'll everything. Talk a little, we'll probably talk a little Titans, and we may talk a little Pirates as well. So, uh, do we have to? Oh, Jerry, <laughs> no, we don't have to. We we we, 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 we might have, have to, to mention uh, John Morant's technical foul, though. <laughs> plenty plenty of cool stuff to talk to again she covers it all so she's got a ton of knowledge what, whatever we get into you're going to learn something just like we will we've also got college football playoff reactions they'll be coming your way here very shortly as we react to not just the top four but the rest of the rankings and yeah we may need to react to number five a little bit well yeah um we'll talk about the TWSAA. they put out the initial region on dis- and district alignments yesterday. And so if you're wondering where your favorite high school team may end up playing in the next uh, two years, we can help you. We'll go through all of those as well. So plenty to get to on this show. We've got a lot to get to first, so we might as well jump right in with some results and schedule on today's rundown this is the rundown 
In NHL action on Tuesday night, the Preds continued their road trip and continued to struggle with a 5-1 loss at the Seattle Kraken. College football action last night. Maction, excuse me, Eastern Michigan with a 34-28 win over Akron. Ohio downed Miami of Ohio 37-21, and it was Toledo 28, Ball State 21. Also in Ohio in women's basketball action, University of Tennessee blew an eight-point halftime lead and fell 87-75 at Ohio State. That was number five, Tennessee, number 14, Ohio State. The Lady Buckeyes getting the win. In NBA action tonight on at 7 o'clock on Bally Sports Southeast, you can catch the Grizzlies there in San Antonio to take on the Spurs. Women's basketball tonight. At Curb Event Center, you can check out the Belmont Lady Bruins ahead of our conversation with their head coach tomorrow. So mm-hmm. I guess we'll get some immediate reaction from from that as uh, as they're coming off the game tonight against Chattanooga. That's a 6.30 tip on ESPN+. Plus. In junior college action tonight, Southwest Tennessee is at Vol State, and that's a 6.30 tip. And Columbia State is over in Jackson taking on Jackson State at 6.30. Men's basketball action tonight. Lipscomb goes to South Dakota. That's a 7 o'clock start on ESPN+. Plus In junior college action tonight, Columbia State is at Jackson State. That's going to start after the women's game about 8.30. And also at Vol State, the Pioneers will take on Southwest Tennessee at about 8.30. College football action tonight. More action. Northern Illinois at Western Michigan. That's a 6 o'clock kick on ESPNU. Also at 6 o'clock on ESPN2, Buffalo is at Central Michigan. And at 6 o'clock on CBS Sports Network, Kent State is at Bowling Green. That is your rundown. Well, our top story today coming from... The coaching ranks got a couple of them. Number one, Jacques Vaughn is no longer the interim coach for the Brooklyn Nets. They have named a permanent head coach, and that head coach is Jacques Vaughn. Meet the new boss, <laughs> same as the old boss. That's right. So that's, I guess that's uh, it's interesting considering that when this this, this move initially happened with the uh, firing of Steve Nash, that uh, it, it appeared that. Boston Celtics Ime Adoko was going to be able to uh, be taking over that spot. And instead it is Vaughn or well, JV as they call him JV. Okay. All right. Not, not to be confused with John Varlas, right. <laughs> of the daily Memphian. But, um, I, I think that's probably the safe bet for the Nets because, um, obviously Udoka they've got other things going baggage. on. <laughs> yeah. Well, Adoka comes with some baggage. They've got some baggage of their own right now. Mm. They don't and really so, need any more. <laughs> yeah, they, they, they yeah. Uh, the, the less they can take on and the quicker they can get out of the public eye, probably the better it is for Brooklyn. So, so yeah, this is, this is probably a good call, even if it's, even if it's interim, not interim. I mean, who knows how long, Jack? everybody's interim, you know, whether they got the title or not. So that's um, true. You know, maybe he, maybe he makes it for some period of time. Maybe he gets them through the end of the season, but um, 
according to the team's press release and Brooklyn general manager Sean Marks, Jock, Jock's basketball acumen, competitiveness, and intimate knowledge of our team and organization make him the clear-cut best person to lead our group moving forward. He has a proven ability to get the best out of our players, hold them accountable, and play a cohesive team-first style of basketball. It's a shame they didn't figure that out a week ago. That's exactly. I mean, that's what's crazy is I don't. I don't know what they're. I don't know what you're doing otherwise if you're the Nets, right? Mm-hmm. I, I mean, this is a guy who's been your interim now twice, and has been pretty good. Uh, he wasn't great with the Magic, but it's not like the Magic were anything had, had a lot of talent on the roster in 2012 to 15. So, um, yeah, I mean. This is a guy who's who's been there. Mm-hmm. He's been he he's been uh, on the staff, so he knows this. You know, he knows the personnel well enough. And, and if you're if you're in the business of trying to win a championship uh, immediately, or at least be in the running for a championship, you don't need to be messing around with interim coaches. You don't need to be messing around hiring a guy in the middle of the season who you think is going to be your head coach going forward. The best thing to do is kind of steady the ship, right? Yeah, yeah, and and I would think that that would be the goal of Brooklyn Alert now is is steady in the ship with as little upheaval as possible. I mean, you're the the idea of bringing in a new coach, what ten games in or whatever you are, um, and him having to get to know everybody and everybody getting to know him and that kind of thing. I mean, the least amount of upheaval, I would think. You know, continuity is kind of the word I was looking for, but, you know, trying to establish some continuity and, and JV helps you with that. So let's go. You would think. One would think also in other coaching news, Houston Astros and, and Dusty Baker announced a one year contract between the two. Uh, Dusty Baker told MLB.com's Brian McTaggart on Tuesday quote i always said if i win one i want two (laughs) so (laughs) i guess hey (laughs) once you win that first you get a little greedy right mo well i mean if some is good more is better right so yeah i'm I'm, I'm, (laughs) i'm not i'm not mad at dusty at all i i never felt like this was his swan song anyway and how do you walk away from a team that won 100 106 games in the regular season now you know, whether they bring that team back is going to be, you know, certainly up for debate. But I think as long as Dusty is in place, you know, talking about continuity, he's going to give you a chance, particularly in the AL West. Yeah, it's not very good. Um, he obviously has had a 25-year career in the dugout and the only manager to guide five franchises to the playoffs, the Giants, the Cubs, the Reds, the Nationals, and, of course, the Astros. Three-time recipient of Manager of the Year Award, and I think he is a finalist for this year's award. Am I correct? Yeah, I would I would certainly think so. And he's one well, of based the Based select- on the NL finalists, my guess is that he's one of the AL finalists. Yeah. Yeah, since all three of them won 100 games. Um, one of the few, and I don't know how many exactly, but one of the few individuals who has won a World Series as both a player and as a manager. That's correct. That's the 1981 Dodgers. Yeah. 
I was probably rooting against them at that time. <laughs> Most likely you were. I would yeah. I wouldn't put it past you. Yeah. But yeah, so that those are our top stories today. Pretty uh pretty good news for some coaches. Maybe not great news for Ime Adoka. <laughs> But I guess he uh, he probably had he probably had an idea it was coming. Uh, so. Yeah, I I can't imagine he was terribly surprised by that development when all was said and done. <laughs> oh man! Well, we're gonna take our first break of the day again. Teresa Walker coming your way here momentarily. College football rankings still ahead, as well as high school football and 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 other sports: basketball, baseball, softball, etc. Alignments. Wild and Wacky Wednesday and Heather Williams all coming your way shortly right here on Main Street Sports Day presented by Mid-Tennessee Bone and Joint. Stick around. Mid-Tennessee Bone and Joint treats your orthopedic injuries and existing conditions. Our trained physicians will get you back in the game faster. Contact us at 931-381-2663 or www.mtbj.net. Hey folks, while we take a quick break from the show, I want to tell you about our friends over at Custom Stone Handlers in downtown Columbia. Ed Rich and his team at Custom Stone Handlers believe in leadership. And outside of the military, our greatest leader building platform is sports. Custom Stone Handlers proudly encourages young people to get in the game. You can contact them today at 931-490-4990 or visit customstonehandlers.com. Jones and Lang Sporting Goods here in Columbia has been outfitting teams, officials, and anybody else from T-ball to college for 50-plus years. Be sure and check them out at 931-388-8060 or online at jonesandlang.com. Jones and Lang Sporting Goods, the look of a winner. Zion Christian Academy, zioneagles.org or 931-388-5731. You can schedule your appointment. Go tour their campus. It is beautiful over there, and you're definitely going to want to see it. Again, it's zioneagles.org. Give them a call, 931-388-5731, and schedule your tour today. Are you an enthusiastic sports fan? Want to have fun and get in on the action? Heck yes, that'd be awesome. Have great attention to detail? Want to stay active? Definitely. Want to give back to the student-athletes in your community? Obviously, yes! Then you'd make an excellent high school sports official. We need more officials in Tennessee. Because with no high school officials, there are no high school sports. Sign up today at highschoolofficials.com. Mid-Tennessee Bone & Joint has been the official sports medicine provider for Murray County Schools for more than 40 years. We specialize in orthopedic injuries, and our OrthoQuick walk-in service lets you bypass the ER. Visit us online at www.mtbj.net. Welcome back in Main Street Sports Today, presented by Mid-Tennessee Bone and Joint. Chris Yell and Mo Patton here on this wild and wacky Wednesday. We are. Getting ready for a wild weekend and week of high school sports as 32 teams remain in each classification in the uh, in Division One Mo. That's right. Yeah, 32. Yeah, that's right. That's right. It's gonna uh, 
if you've made it this far, you're a pretty good football team. And Friday nights when the uh, the rubber meets the road and it gets really, really interesting from that point on. Um, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm trying to get the link to Ms. Walker. That she, there she is. She's in. Oh, is she in? Oh, good. Good. Okay. Yeah. So again, it's going to be a, a great weekend of high school football and uh, looking forward to, to, to very much uh, excitement this week. So I'm telling you, man, this is the best time of year. It's the most wonderful time of the year. That's what I say. <laughs> but now we talk about everything but high school, just about. And I'm, I'm, I'm sure if we asked her, she could probably give us a little insight into some high school sports too. But we have <laughs> Teresa Walker. Yeah, she, us. Could, she could give us a little something. We could probably ask her a little bit about Maryville in particular, but um, we'll 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 stay it's away a, from that for now. That's a painful <laughs> subject this year. We uh, the Maryville Rebels have lost a couple of games that, uh, so we won't go down that path. Okay. <laughs> a couple of games. Listen to her. They're they're it, upset over losing a couple of games over in Maryville. It it may be three, so it is very painful. Uh, please, you know, Is that us or her? She's back. Okay. I'm back. What there can I say? I'm doing it on the phone, and I don't have my phone connected to the to the uh, 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 Wi-Fi that I'm using in the AP Bureau today. So I was going to ask uh, you yeah, where you were. Yeah, we we see the the AP photos behind you. So yeah, yeah, nice backdrop. Yeah, it's very cool, isn't it? Yeah, I, I, I'm very, very low. Trying to go on my hotspot here and boost the signal. We'll see if we can get you guys going better, okay? That'll work. That'll work. And the, in the me meantime, now? we can. Yeah, we got you. We got you. You good? Good deal. Okay. Um, Teresa, news out you. of St. Okay, great. News out of St. Thomas Sports Park. Traylon Burks is trending upward i guess and and i guess that's got to be good news right uh yes they activated him off of the 21 or into the 21 day practice window right and what that means is you know they could activate him friday saturday uh he could play sunday uh, the good thing is he had a buy in there. So, you know, you, nowadays, in fact, I had a story that moved yesterday on the change in the IR rules where, you know, last year it was unlimited players could return off of IR and you could uh, put, you know, and they had to spend three games. Well, this year it's eight players. So teams have to be choosy who they bring back. And the other side of that is you've got to spend four games. And because the Titans had their buy in that, well, guess what? He had, he's, he's been out essentially five weeks. So, you know, hopefully he can come back because, you know, the, the 31st in the NFL in passing, right? He's got 10 of their 51 catches by wide receivers. So he's got to help if he gets back on the field this week, right? And on Monday, Mike Vrabel praised. I mean, Mike Vrabel does not praise many players, but he raved about the work ethic that Traylon Burks has shown in these while he's been on IR. So to me, that's a good thing and, and a strong indication that he's going to have a chance barring any setback before kickoff. Well, and, and that's, that's good news for Titans fans who obviously on 
Sunday witnessed yet again the wide receiver core failing to really get much separation from defensive backs. <laughs> so, <laughs> and when you're talking about young quarterbacks and and Malik Willis, and then of course you know what Ryan Tannehill has to has to do as well. It's important. I mean, you, you gotta have you gotta have guys who can do that. Oh, without a doubt, and that's what Traylon Burks is. He's big. He's physical. He's fast. You know, he was put on IR with a foot injury, um, you know, and, and that's the thing. If he is allowed to, you know, or activated this week, then he brings something. No offense. There's a reason why, and I know it's easy to focus on the trade of, you know, A.J. Brown to, to Philadelphia with the season that he's having. And, oh, yeah, he chimed in when they pointed out how much the Titans wide receivers have struggled on Sunday night. He was chiming in on social media. But the fact of the matter is Traylon Burks is the guy you took at 18. You don't, you know, it, it, they can talk about Cody Hollister being a great blocker in the run game, but the guy that they need, the guy that they want helping catch passes is wearing number 16, not eight. And, you know, you get Traylon Burks out there, that might help Robert Woods have a little bit more room to work as well because everybody knows what he can do. Uh, and he is a starter. And no offense, Nick Westbrook Akine, but, uh, you know, yeah, people actually have been talking about, you know, how bad the receivers have been. And it was really egregious on Sunday night when Malik Willis, uh, God bless him, rookie making his second start in a row on the road. And all he does is go and put the ball on some hands that, you know, if two of those balls are caught, then, you know, maybe they come home with a win. And, you know, so, it, and again, uh, yeah, Nick Westbrook Akina, he had a defender on him. If you're an NFL receiver, you make that catch. If you're Chris Conley, yeah, I think we found why he was on the Chiefs practice squad, not their roster, when that ball <laughs> hit him in his hand. So uh, Tra Traylon Burks being able to come back would be a massive addition because defense and Derrick Henry can get you so far. If this team is going to do something in January, they're going to have to be more than one-dimensional. Really felt like that Chris Conley catch that wasn't was was a game changer Teresa to your point so um and and again Chris and I have talked about it probably ad nauseum but I mean it it becomes even more glaring the deficiencies at receiver when you've got a rookie quarterback out there trying to trying to get you going in the right direction you got to help him out and they didn't no, I mean, Malik Willis put a perfect throw on Austin Hooper and the veteran tight end caught it. I mean, that was just, I mean, that is the throw you want your quarterback to make. And again, he hit Chris Conley in the hands. He put the ball at Nick Westbrook Akine's hands. You know, that's a ball he needs to be catching. I mean, that's the thing. You're getting an NFL paycheck. He's a starter. He's been a starter for this team. Now, some of it might be a bit by default. I mean, uh, you know, he's an undrafted uh, guy out of Indiana. Obviously, nobody in the NFL thought he was worth a draft pick, but he has worked hard and he has earned a job with this team. They had, you know, Ryan Tannehill's talked about how, you know, he knows every position on the field and he has his, the quarterback's trust. Well, how many, you know, we're getting to a point where you can count on one hand, maybe almost two hands, the moments where Nick Westbrook Akine has had opportunities to make big catches in big spots and not come through. I'm thinking of a play in Pittsburgh last year when the quarterback really needed him to come down with the ball and he was uh, you know, a little short and missed some others. So 
you know, didn't one of Tannehill's, out, especially when it's Malik Willis. So, and didn't one of Tannehill's interceptions last year uh, bounce off his hands? I think late in the season, or maybe in the playoff game. So, I mean, he's he's had some issues. Uh, well, guess who was the intended receiver on the interception? Yes, the interception, the last one against Cincinnati. Cincinnati. The intended receiver was Nick Westbrook. And yes, and that was the one that, you know, knocked them out of the playoffs. So, uh, you know, when if you're 20 seconds away from forcing overtime and making that game go a little bit longer and, you know, you got the home field and maybe you, you know, just run the ball and yeah, yeah, yeah. Coulda, woulda, shoulda. The fact of the matter is they need better play from their wide receivers in mass and, but is Ryan Tanny this week and Second half of the season where they've got five of their nine games are at home. This is where, and this is one of them. They need to start making some hay. Teresa Walker of the Associated Press with us here on Main Street Sports today, presented by Mid Tennessee Bone and Joint. Um, Teresa, as we continue to talk about Malik Willis, what's What's the prognosis on Ryan Tannehill at this point? I mean, obviously, it's Wednesday. Vrabel isn't going to tell us anything, but can you figure anything out? Do you expect him for Denver Sunday? Well, I, I can't say anything of what I might have seen in the open portion of practice until 2.30. That's mm-hmm. when practice ends. My, uh, Ryan Tannehill talked to us. We saw him run through the locker room before practice he had his jersey on and he he was walking well I mean you know I mean it's it's walking in the locker room and going out to the practice field is not the same as trying to dodge a, a, a pass rusher coming at you on Sunday but you know that was uh something we had not seen you know in the locker room at least so that isn't which you know uh, uh practice ends at 2 30 but then we're waiting to do if he was able That's what I'm expecting too. Is a <laughs> is is game time decision? We assume. Well, that's what he was last week. He was on the right. plane to Kansas City, and he was warming up in in pregame. And I mean, you know, if, if it's you know, we're all thinking high ankle sprain, uh, you know. But at this point, you know, the fact that he made the trip to Kansas City was warming up. Uh, that is a step and you don't put him on the plane to Kansas city. If he's 
not close enough to at least be thinking about it, right? I mean, you, you can play with the NFL injury rules to a point. And, uh, you know, at this point, you know, Ryan talked to us. He said he's feeling better. You know, he, you know, he, you know, it, it, it was, it was, easier kind of to watch the game from the sideline than you know sitting there at home watching it on tv the houston game so you know it sounds like he's progressing uh he told us last he told us again today that this is this is something he's gonna have to deal with for a bit it's you know so there's going to be some improvement to a point but you know it's going to be something that he's going to have to be able to deal with and and mobility and the the ability to you know hand off move around slide in the pocket is going to be key for a guy who who you know his nickname is tanny wheels tanny wheels <laughs> yeah it's a great nickname you have right a- i mean you know come on when when you have a quarterback who can make plays with his legs, you should use him, whether his name be Willis or Tanny. That's all I'm saying. Goodness, Teresa. Let me ask you. You know, we saw all over um, Twitter, I guess on Monday in the aftermath of Frank Wright's um, dismissal by Indianapolis, that that the Titans should snap him up. Do you think there's any possibility of Reich joining forces with the Titans in a coaching capacity. Let's see what happens uh, during the off season. I mean, and, and guys, it is two 30 and Ryan Tannehill was seen during the open portion of practice uh, along with Traylon Burks. And, you know, he, he you know, I'm not going to say he was running all around the field, but he was moving gingerly. It looked like he was trying to test some things. So, um, but uh, I, I almost, you know, for Frank Reich, you know, man, if I've got a chance to upgrade him from Todd Downing, I might, I'd be very tempted to have a conversation. Mike Vrabel said Monday that he knows Frank Reich. They've gotten to know each other through committees. They were both hired uh, among the seven coaches hired in the 2018 off season. And they know each other, you know, he knows his wife. He was going to reach out and to him on Monday and, you know, express his, you know, you know, Hey, sorry, buddy, I guess. Um, but you know, I, I, here's the thing. What does Frank Wright want to do? Does he want to take a few time, a few months off? Uh, can you know when guys get fired you know the thing about NFL contracts you don't really have buyouts but you know they got to finish paying off whatever is left on his contract so you know it's going to be interesting to see does he take time off does he become a candidate for another job or does he decide to you know does he go back to the OC route so uh, you know I'd be interested in talking to him because you know but but as long as Derrick Henry is on this team guys uh, Mike Vrabel and the Titans have made it very very clear this is a run team, a team built to run, and a team that is built around defense. So um, that, 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 you know, Frank Wright, you know, I, I, let's, let's stay tuned. That, that's a little early, I think, to, to be thinking that road at this moment. Teresa, before we let you go real quick, just your, uh, your initial thoughts on last night's top four as we're about to get into it a little bit deeper here on the show. Well, I'll say this: uh, Tennessee is the only team that has got that has played like what five top twenty-five teams, 
And uh, I'm trying to even remember the Georgia-Oregon game. But, uh, you know, here's the thing. Tennessee went to Georgia. And if a play is made here or there, and let's not forget that, you know, Hooker had been really, really good on those deep balls. Well, yeah, the defense was really good. He didn't connect on a couple of those. If he connects on one of them, we're talking a much different game in that fourth quarter. So uh, I feel recency bias. It's like, I saw this team lose. Let's drop them down. Uh, I I just have a thing. uh, It just feels that even with the schedule remaining, the Vols are going to have a chance to be in that final four mix when the, when, when they, when they pull the, the, the names out of the hat. There you go. Teresa Walker, Associated Press, follow her at Teresa M. Walker on social media and Twitter. We appreciate your time as always, man. Sounds good. And, uh, you know, now I'll tweet out some of the video that I shot at practice today. <laughs> Make sure to go follow her so you can see it. All right. We're going to take a quick break here. When we come back, college football playoff uh, thoughts and much more right here on Main Street Sports Today, presented by Mid-Tennessee Bond & Joint. Stick around. This is Chris Yao with Main Street Sports Today. Every show, Mo Patton and I welcome friends from all across the sports landscape, from high school coaches and reporters to national, college, and pro sports personalities. You never know who might stop by for a chat. AP Tennessee Sports Editor, three-time Tennessee Sports Writer of the Year 2020 TSWA Hall of Famer. She covers the Titans, the Predators, the Grizzlies, college football, and hoops. Please make welcome, Teresa Walker. Former University of Tennessee, former Team USA Olympian, XI Young Award winner, Ari Dickey. Ari, did I miss anything? Man, that was sweet. <laughs> yeah, I, I need to listen to that before I go to bed every night. That was nice. <laughs> Has five sports Emmys. That's not bad for the other guy in Wham. Ryan McGee. <laughs> <laughs> other guy Wham married the best looking girl Bananarama, so other guy Wham had a pretty good life. From preps to pros, we're taking on the sports topics you care about. Tune in across Main Street Media social platforms at 2 p.m. or on demand on your podcast distribution platform of choice. Oh, welcome back in Main Street Sports Today, presented by Mid Tennessee Bone and Joint. Mo, college football playoff top 25 released last night, and we have it available to you guys here as well as available to us. Uh, in the in that first column over there, or the, I guess the last column on the right with a 19 to 25, I thought it was very interesting that Florida State and Kentucky made their way into uh, – into the rankings, Florida State specifically, uh, they've played three top 25 teams this year, lost to all three of them in a row. And I'm not sure if it's if it's more that they, you know, maybe dominated Miami or 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 whatever it was, but it it just kind of seems odd that LSU's in the top 10, so Florida State makes its way and creeps into the top 25. Well, and I think it goes back to what you've been saying all along, that win over LSU to open the season. Apparently, somebody felt like, well, if LSU is this high and Florida State beat them, then they've got to be in here somewhere. It is, it's just interesting to me. I thought, I thought, okay, well, and I, you know, 
I think you kind of have to help. You got to help bolster LSU's resume somewhere. They've their two losses are, you know, to Tennessee and to now Florida State. Of course, they've got a win over number eleven Ole Miss. But this thought that was interesting and, and, and number nine Alabama. Too. Well, yeah. <laughs> But and Kentucky too. I mean, I think that helps Tennessee when you're when you look at the and and I try to tell people this all the time. You, you can say they've got five top twenty-five wins. Tennessee does not have five top twenty-five wins right now. They have three because the college football playoff committee could not care less about anybody else's rankings but theirs. They don't care what you think. And so now Tennessee has a win over number seven number nine and number 24. And I think if you don't think this committee is playing long game chess at times, you're not paying attention over the last eight years. <laughs> well, you're not paying attention over the last eight years and you're not paying attention this week because they have set this thing up for Tennessee to come back in. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. They have, there's no by, question. By putting about Ohio it. state and Michigan in at two and three, knowing that they play each other. And and neither of them, which, granted, uh, I think Notre Dame being at 20 helps Ohio State quite a bit. Um, but I don't think it, it I don't think it helps them overcome a loss to Michigan. Correct. But Michigan losing to Ohio State, it, it's it's donezo, no no drama necessary. Right, right. And and TCU. Goes to Austin this weekend, goes to Baylor the following weekend. And one of those is ranked, the other not. Texas ranked number 18 in this poll. Uh, I think that's – I think there's some some play there. Um, you know, Kansas – TCU was losing 28-10 to 10 to Kansas State. Okay? Kansas State's starting quarterback – and backup quarterback both got hurt in that game. TCU comes back and comes back and wins 38-28. That's their only top 25 win was against a third string quarterback after they were getting just drubbed by Adrian Martinez. Mm -hmm. So I find it interesting that TCU went from 7 to 4 and that's their only top 25 win. Undefeated TCU undefeated TCU say I don't uh, have a problem with TCU being number four okay I'm just going to throw that out there mm -hmm. what I have a problem with is the consistency or lack thereof of this committee's thought process and that's completely completely and totally understandable you can't tell me that last week and this week are not completely different rankings. <laughs> I mean, Michigan went from five to three, which I, I mean, that happens, especially when one and four lose. Yeah. <laughs> five to three is kind of natural, but seven to four doesn't really make a whole lot of sense in my opinion. Yeah. What, now. what did TCU necessarily do to go from seven to four? And I mean, well, I don't I, think I don't think beating Texas Tech at I don't think beating Texas Tech by ten at TCU explains that. Clearly, this committee does not watch any games after uh, before halftime because Rutgers was beating Michigan and TCU was down to Texas Tech at halftime. Both of them had to come back in the second half to win. Now, obviously, Michigan came back and won rather easily 
and TCU won by 10 again at home, but it is interesting. And I think that is one of the more unique talking points and things we're going to have to really, we as, you know, talking heads literally (laughs) on this screen, um, are going to be talking about because th- this is just fodder for us. Yeah. Because yeah. it, it is this a, we're doing it for attention kind of thing, because I don't think the college football playoff rankings need to do anything for attention. They're going to get attention no matter what. Right. You would think. Now that being said, let me ask you this. Because I don't know where you were getting ready to go, but but I want to ask you this: Where is the cutoff between teams that eight have have okay that have a viable path to the Final Four and teams that don't? And that's kind of what I was thinking. Technically, though, I guess twelve right now UCLA, but but UCLA would just be an an uh, an addendum to that top eight because UCLA can play its way in. So the top eight and UCLA. Yes. Because Alabama's out. Alabama's done. Clemson's out. Unless everything in the world goes wrong for everybody ahead of them. Yes. Ole Miss is out because they, Ole can't, Miss get is to, out. they can't get to they can't get to Atlanta. And how unfortunate is that necessarily for Ole Miss? They're gonna they're they're sitting there, you know, going, man, that especially if they win this week. What does winning this week do for them, though? They're be, they're beating a two loss Alabama team, right? I'm just saying. Well, I mean, it keeps them at one loss for the end of the year, and you're just kind of frustrated at the end of the year because then you're you're in a New Year's Six conversation with uh, if Tennessee doesn't get into the top four you don't get into the New Year's Six probably because of Tennessee. <laughs> That's unfortunate for and, you. And didn't get a chance to play them. Yeah. And didn't get a chance to play the two teams. So it's like, man, that's that's kind of frustrating if you're an Ole Miss fan. And, you know, again, it's it's not it's not always how many you lose. It's who you, you lose them to yeah. if you're, you know, but, LSU and Ole Miss. So. But, again, I, as, as we've said at times about Tennessee this season, I think Ole Miss kind of has to – objectively feel the same way. I mean, the fact that they are not in contention for the CFP, you know, doesn't really take away from what they've been able to accomplish this point. They're having a heck of a season. No, they're having a great season. And and coupled with last year's New Year's Six, uh, you know, appearance, you got to mm-hmm. feel pretty good if you are Ole Miss and, and you got to feel pretty good if you're Lane Kiffin. And, and, and that's why – Lane Kiffin's not going anywhere. Why in the world would you leave a place you've gone to two, potentially two New Year's Six Bowls to go to Auburn? Not happening. Don't care how much money they throw at me. But, you know, as we talk about this committee's inconsistency, mm-hmm. we talk about TCU, Oregon sitting at six, USC at eight, and UCLA at 12. We had this, I had this conversation on Twitter yesterday. I quote tweeted a a guy who asked a question. The question was, 
how much sense does it make that USC sits at eight and UCLA at 12 when UCLA has a win over the team that beat USC? UCLA has two top 25 wins. USC has zero. And USC's yards per play defense is 118th in the country. What I'm telling you is that helmet bias is real. <laughs> if Alabama were Tennessee and they had gotten beaten 28 to 13 or 27 to 13 on Saturday, they'd be number four. Ahead of and, TCU. Well, they were ahead of TCU last week. Well, if they, uh, that's, that's what I'm saying. Helmet bias is real. USC, and I said this, what did I say? I said this on Monday. The best chance the Pac-12 has is USC. Period. UCLA has thirty has 3,000 fans at their games. They almost lost to South Alabama. They're not going to be in the top 10 unless they beat both Oregon and USC. Even with everything that you just mentioned. Correct. Because helmet bias matters. The name on the front of the jersey matters in the CFP. Well, and that's that's part of the human element that you get with a committee. And I'm not saying that I hate it. I think it's unfortunate for some teams. But I also think that more times than not, you get the four best teams versus the four best computer-ranked teams. Because I test does matter. And and that's why, you know, as you said, this is this is talking season fodder more than anything else. Because you feel like by the time we get to the end of the season, this is all gonna shake out and you're gonna have the four teams that are most worthy of playing for a national championship, you feel like. And again, as you look at that top five right there. The issue if being, you're a UT fan, there's there's very little for you to realistically worry about as long as you take care of your business. Well, the Pac-12 is a problem because those three, the Oregon, USC, UCLA, all play each other. Whether it be in the Pac-12 championship game, if if though if two of those three, you know, get to the championship game and obviously one's got to win it. And you've got a Pac-12 one-loss champion. You've got TCU who's undefeated and a champion. You're hard-pressed to get in if you're Tennessee at that point. Because no matter what, even if it's Oregon, who lost by 43 points to, <laughs> to, or, to, to, to Georgia in the season opener, and apparently Reese Davis thinks that those two are somehow equal, you know, it, it would be really hard for this committee to keep out the Pac-12 champion, I think. Now, if it's Oregon, there's a lot of drama. If it's USC or UCLA, they're in. I think. And they'll get absolutely pummeled in the Peach Bowl. Well, stay tuned, I reckon. Anything else that just uh, kind of jumps out at you? You know, North Carolina has has just kept winning and ditto for you, uh, for Tulane. I'm loving seeing Tulane at number 17 out of the AAC. I, I just if, think that's, um, 
if this were two years from now, they'd be they'd be in the playoff. <laughs> and and here's the thing about that, and they and I think they've got UCF this week. It's a top twenty five matchup. The one thing I hate about the 12-team playoff, and if there was a 12-team playoff this year, it would be very interesting. But the one thing I hate about it is that the group of five team, I believe, should be the eight seed no matter what, unless they're higher, eight or higher. I think they should get to host the first-round playoff game. If you put them at 12, that's fine, but I think they should get to host the first-round playoff game no matter what. I think that's part that that should be part of the perks of being a group of five team that gets in. I mean, if you are expanding the field, but you're going to make them go to Ohio State or Michigan or something like that, right, right off the right off the the rip, then I don't know necessarily how much you're doing for them. Exactly. It, it should. It should. So I mean, I can see that it should be on campus. Now that's the only thing, but I, I would like to see a 12 team field here. I don't think that, I don't think the rankings would be quite the same if there were, a I don't think they field. would either. If this was for a 12 team playoff. No, I mean, I don't think you would see, you know, five sec teams in a 12 team playoff. <laughs> Despite how all five of them right now probably deserve to be in it. Right. Yeah. That's the thing. No matter how deserving <laughs> all five may be, I don't think you would see five. Yeah. Yeah. So that might be that. a little much. But, but you're also looking at what? You're looking at three pack 12 teams. And which is least deserving? Five SEC or three pack 12? I don't know. I mean, I, based off what I've seen, it's it's hard to tell. I mean, the Pac-12 has not won any meaningful out-of-conference games. Mm-hmm. Utah lost to Florida. UCLA, you know, has not won anything outside of the conference that makes you feel excited. USC's got to play Notre Dame, but crap, we've seen Notre Dame be really bad. So, so you're asking USC to do what Stanford and Marshall have already done this year. Correct. So no, it just—I mean—the Pac-12 just seems like you know your your out-of-conference schedule doesn't really excite me. If I am, you know, it, matter of fact, I've got it right here: the Collie rankings. The Pac-12 is twenty-five and nine out of conference. They're zero and three against the SEC, zero and two against the Big Twelve, two and one against the Big Ten. So in the and they have not played anybody in the ACC yet. So. In the in Power Five, they are two and six against Power Five teams. Hmm. So there you go. Anyway, just throwing that out there. The SEC, meanwhile, is seven and four against Power Five teams. Of course, one of those losses is Auburn to Penn State. So, there's that. But anyway. Do, do losses that you incurred under a coach who is no longer in place count? Right. They probably shouldn't. <laughs> anyway, such is life. Top four is what it is. Tennessee. Tennessee's probably getting in. I don't think TCU goes undefeated. Mm-hmm. I think Tennessee yep. probably gets in. And I also think that 
the Pac-12 champion is going to get in. That's that's it. I, I think I think you're looking at Georgia. One of those unless two. they lose to LSU, and I don't think they are. So no. I think you're looking at Georgia. You're looking at Ohio State, Michigan. One of them. You're looking at Tennessee, and you're looking at the Pac-12 champ. In that order. Yeah, yeah. It'll be in that order, which would. Have... I hope it's Oregon. I hope Oregon has to come back to the Georgia Dome. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> to play georgia your season oh. started here and it ended here <laughs> congratulations mm, mm, mm. yeah i don't i don't know how you can really twist that around for it to be anything else so. because you're not going to have georgia and tennessee play each other no that's it that it's that order you're you're 100 you, you and oregon yeah, I mean that's it. It's it's got to either be Georgia, Oregon, or Georgia, Tennessee, because Georgia and Ohio and that Ohio State, Michigan winner are going to be one too. Yep, that's it. Wow, I I don't think we really have time to take a quick break here. I would like to talk a little bit about Tito Westaway rankings, or not rankings, alignment mm-hmm. as it uh, as we. Got word yesterday of that, um, and you know, kudos to the TWSAA for dealing with all this because it, it it's not easy. <laughs> well, and, I, I, I will say this: it, it's probably easier for them than it is for us because they probably have some some computer visuals. stuff. They've they've got. Um, Bradley Lambert, who can do some stuff that is clearly beyond our capabilities. But um, I feel like for us in particular here locally, I think Columbia Central and Spring Hill really made out, as as we talked yesterday, about as well as they could have. Because in football, basically what they did was reestablish old District 8 AAA with Columbia Central, Franklin County, Lawrence County, Lincoln County, Shelbyville, and Tullahoma, and then they pulled Spring Hill in. So I think from a competitive standpoint, obviously those Columbia Central and Spring Hill no longer have to deal with Nolansville and Page. And I think they would tell you that that's a good thing. So how about Region 7 5A? Now, Let's I don't... just talk about this one. Okay, hang on. Let me try to get that one in front of me. I, I am... Beach, Hendersonville, Henry County, Springfield, Portland, and Hunters Lane. Okay. Now what? Jesus. What? <laughs> what? What? What are you saying from a competitive standpoint? The I feel real bad for Hunters Lane in Portland. That's what I'm saying. Well. <laughs> Because those other four, I mean, over the over the last few years, Springfield has been really good, and then Beach, Hendersonville, and Henry County are seemingly, you know, as good as it gets. <laughs> yeah. In Class Five A, you know, Hendersonville moving back down to, from Six A. Beach and coming Beach back too. down. Beach too. Yeah. Beach and Hendersonville both moving down, and you go, oh man, that's brutal. Yeah. Yep. That's a that's a meat grinder. That may be the toughest region in 5A. I don't think there's any question about that. Maybe 
maybe Central, West, and Powell. But that's a five-team region, so you only, you know, you just got to not be fifth to get in. <laughs> yeah, and and then once you get in, you take your chances. Yeah. So, uh, but but yeah, that's that's crazy, man. Um, I was really kind of taken aback by the the new um, five-two-a region that includes East Hickman right? Harper. Hmm. Right. Yeah, you've got. East Hickman, Harpeth, Hickman County, Lewis County, Loretta, Mount Pleasant, Summertown, and Waverly. So that's an eight-team district, a uh, region there. And Loretta to Harpeth ain't an easy trip. I don't even know if you can get there from there. Yeah, Loretta <laughs> to Waverly ain't going to be a whole lot of fun either, really. So, I mean, well, Waverly is even kind of, I mean, Harpeth is at least straight north. Waverly's mm -hmm. out random West team. I mean, yeah. they're, they're kind of out on a, out on a, an Island in that one. Yeah. Um, kind of like Dixon County in that Clarksville region. Well, Waverly, Henry County and, and kind of Dixon County are kind of in the same predicament in. and Henry County have both kind of had the same problem in that they have played across the river, as they like to say, the Tennessee River that, that delineates West Tennessee from Middle Tennessee. Waverly being in Humphreys County on this side of the river has played West on occasions. Obviously, Henry County being on the West side of the Tennessee River has played East and, and is doing so again this time. They've typically played into Clarksville, but I mean, they're, they're kind of up there in no man's land in terms of size. There, there's nobody else close to them that, that, that is their size. So, well, and the other, the other side, the, the other side of that, you know, that playoff bracket region six is already is also an eight team region with Adamsville, Camden, you know, Riverside, Huntingdon, Milan, Peabody, Jackson, Central Mary, I mean, there's nowhere else you can go because seven right. and eight are all Memphis schools. Right. So right. you had to take – it was either that or you were going to have to put Mount Pleasant, Loretto, or Summertown. You were going to have to split those up and send another one to Region 4 and go east mm -hmm. all the way to potentially Marion County where Fayetteville is going to have to make – Fayetteville and Forest have to go all the way to Marion County for a game and for a region contest. Two Fayetteville to Marion County. Fayetteville to Marion County probably isn't necessarily that bad because you can, they can just go across 64, I think. But Yeah, but, but it's that, still a long way. But that that forest Marion County is – that's that's tough. Yeah. Uh, Fayetteville in 2A, you know, that's probably where they, <laughs> where they need to be um, that's for competitively. Just a second because you've got – a couple of four-team districts. You get three four-team districts in um in Region Five A, and then in Region Five Two A. Region Five A, District Ten, Cullioca, Hampshire, Richland, and Santa Fe are District Ten A. So, so everybody goes to the region. The Murray County <laughs> District there. Mm -hmm. 
Congrats, y'all. All of y'all are going to district. In in 5-2A, District 9 is Cannon County, Cascade Forest, and, uh, and Community. District 10... District, you got plenty of non-district games to go out and get. Well, 11 and 12 is, you got the same plenty thing. of hmm? 11 and 12 same thing. It's it's kind of odd to see so many four team districts to me. Matter of fact, Mo District 6, 7, 9, 10, 11, 12. Are all four, all team four team districts that's, in that's, class two. This is why you can't have four classes unless you split them up di with a different number of schools in each class. Justin, did I lose him or did he lose me? Um, you're good. I think we're having a little bit of connection issues with Mo. Issues right? with Mo? Okay. Can you hear me? Yeah, we can hear you now. Um, okay. This is the what I was saying. Is this is why you can't. This is why if you're going to have four classes, you're going to have to have a small 1A, a small 4A, and two big two and threes. Yeah, because the, the, the fours in particular are probably closer together. Geographically so, speaking, so it's um, it but it it has created some some interesting groupings, I guess. And again, um, in four A District Nine, four A, Columbia, uh, Coffee County, Columbia Central, Lincoln County, Shelbyville, Spring Hill, and Warren County. The other two there, um, so. And I guess you can schedule around that for those games to be on Fridays, maybe, but still. And District 9 4A will match up with District 10 4A, which is an all Williamson County district with Brentwood, Centennial, Franklin, Independence, Nolansville, Page, Ravenwood, and Summit, eight team district there. So that'll hmm. be fun come region time. Yeah, so long as the region tournament isn't in McMinnville. <laughs> if it is, I quit. <laughs> oh man. Well, let's take a, a, a short break here, Justin. And when we come back, we'll get to Heather Williams talking a little NASCAR on the other side of the break. Main Street Sports Day presented by Mid Tennessee Bond and Joint returns after this. This holiday season, the largest lantern event in the country returns to Nashville Zoo. After sunset, come see more than 1,000 Chinese lanterns. All new designs including mythical beasts, a fantastical North Pole village, even a dragon soaring over your head. Welcome back to Zoo Illumination at Nashville Zoo. Bigger, brighter, and better than ever. Mid-Tennessee Bone & Joint treats your orthopedic injuries and existing conditions. Our trained physicians will get you back in the game faster. Contact us at 931-381-2663 or www.mtbj.net. Well, <laughs> 
<laughs> Welcome back in Main Street Sports today. Presented by Mid-Tennessee Bone and Joint. Mo Patton and Chris Yow here on this Wednesday as we get you uh, get you caught up on the happenings from the weekend in NASCAR. We are joined by Heather Williams, who is joining us via telephone today. Heather, how are you? I'm good. Uh, just running around doing some National Signing Day coverage. So. Oh. Well, we, we hate that. Oh, go ahead. We I hate just, go ahead. I was just going to mention that I covered the uh, the signing of ETSU head basketball coach uh, Desmond Oliver, former UT assistant son, Dante. Uh, hmm. In an upset decision, he is going to ETSU. Oh, <laughs> great recruiting job by Coach Oliver, huh? Yeah, well, apparently, according to Dante, he was originally not going to go play for his dad. And uh, he said the assistant coaches talked him into it. So great, great recruiting job by his assistant coaches, apparently. Hmm. That's interesting. Well, Heather, we, we hate that we don't actually get to see you. But after the events of Sunday night at, and, and last week's events, it might be best that we can't. So, I mean... Uh, uh, I didn't. I didn't harass you one time this week, uh, Mo, about the game. I was well behaved. You were well behaved, but uh, I think that had to do that it, with the fact that it was seventeen nine for the longest as well. So, um, at at any rate, that's fair. Yeah, <laughs> that's definitely fair. Um, Phoenix, relative to what yeah. you anticipated. I mean. Yes, Joey Logano was probably the pejorative favorite going into the weekend. I mean, he was the guy that had the most time to prepare. Uh, he's got the most experience. He's the oldest guy of the group, uh, the ripe old, I believe, 32 years old. Um, so, yes, I mean, I think that it was a tough weekend. I would have liked to have seen if... Christopher Bell could have given a little more to the situation had not the horrible events happened with his team's co-owner dying the night before uh, the championship race. Um, Cause I just don't feel like that Joe Gibbs team was really, any of those teams are really all into it. And how could you be um, after that happened? So, um, you know, that was the only, you know, awful part of the weekend was, you know, that happening and, and the, kind of the effect it had on the championships a much lower secondary part of that but yeah as far as the racing went I that's pretty much how I expected the race to go Chase Elliott was hasn't been good all all playoffs he really wasn't that great this weekend um and the other three guys battled it out for the championship it was a an unfortunate situation with uh Ross and Chase in the middle of the race Chase pretty well uh chase elliott pretty well knocked out by uh, on a restart when uh ross chastain got into his right rear or left rear left rear but you know a lot of folks will say chase wrecked chase and i'd be one of those yeah i mean i think so i think chase was pushing because as i mentioned he hasn't run that well i don't think that the chase elliott that showed up to nashville and that team and the way they were running feels that that part in the that, that early in the race that he has to make that move right I think they're running with more confidence he, he probably feels like he could chase people down that he doesn't have to get a bunch of 
spots on the restart. But because they haven't run well, he, he pushed the issue because he felt like that was his only chance to, to get a win. And, um, you know, that's what happens sometimes. I don't think that Chase really did anything wrong. He did what he had to do. just didn't work out for him. Now, it really didn't matter, but um, the the cold hard truth is that the guy who won the race on Sunday should not have won the race. His teammate sat behind him and was going to play blocker, had Ross Chastain had any opportunity to get close. Um, but, you, I mean – that's kind of the the world we live in, in in NASCAR in this championship race, isn't it? Maybe, but I don't know if I believe that. I mean, I don't know that. What? I don't know that Ross was in the position to be able to chase those two down. Yeah, Ross wasn't in the position to chase those two down. And you don't think Ryan Blaney, who hasn't won all year, wouldn't have wanted to win the race? And if he wins the race and Joey Logano finishes second, Joey's still the champion, and then the captain gets a win from all of the, all three of his teams and the championship. So Man. I don't necessarily think that he had the car to pass him. I don't know. He was up front the whole day. They were I, he didn't try, not real hard. Logano won both stages. Logano won both stages in the poll. I know, I'm just saying he didn't try real hard. <laughs> I he mean, didn't I, try. I just don't I just don't see I don't see it. If Ross was a little bit closer and really had a chance to run run those two down then maybe I might understand that argument, but I just can't believe for a second that Ryan Blaney didn't want to get a win and that, and that the captain didn't want him to get a win for everything that that means for that team, especially when, as far as Joey Logano's concerned, first and second pay exactly the same. I don't know. It just did. It just felt, it just felt like the last four laps of that, of that race were pretty, ho-hum and it may have just been because joey was that much better but i don't know i mean i might like i said i might be able to bite if ross was faster and was catching running them down and or blaney had won one of the stages or sat on the pole or at some point shown that he had a superior car to, to legato but i didn't see that all all race I mean, that's my opinion i i, I respect yours I, you're not the only person that i've heard say that so <laughs> Um, outside of, outside of, you know, the championship four that were in the race, uh, you know, Phoenix just didn't really feel like it had a lot of excitement and well, the short tracks have struggled all year. Right. And that, that was kind of, that was going to be my question is, is, but is that with this next gen car, is that going to be a point of discussion going forward of, you know, where, where they finish the season? Oh, I don't know. They're not going to change the schedule, but the but the there's going to be a huge emphasis on improving this next gen car on the short tracks. They already started it. They had some testing over the summer uh, and made some changes to the car uh, prior to Martinsville, and it has improved. The short track races have gotten marginally better in the second half of the season, uh, but there's been all sorts of talk, including maybe even going back to having a slightly different car for uh, the short tracks, which by the way, completely, <laughs> completely washes out the reason to have this next gen car. Cause it's supposed to be a car you can run on all different types of tracks, but um, you know, they're going to have to do something and they know that. And they've been, uh, 
they've been making some uh, movement towards trying to improve the short track programs. They they definitely want to end this, and and Phoenix isn't an all the way short track. It's not Bristol. It's not Martinsville, but it's a shorter track, and that's what the fans really like. And I think that NASCAR really wants to end on that sort of track because it's the most popular types of tracks that they go to. And as far as weather goes, Phoenix has got to be the one. I mean, it just has to be when you're racing in November. Yeah. I mean, weather is pretty well paramount at that point. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, if you won't be able to come to your, to your race anyway. Well, you know, Martinsville was not awful, but I've been to Martinsville races, which is, you know, second to the last, or to the last, somewhere around in there each year. Uh, I have been to some Martinsville races that have been downright miserable. Like, I'm just like, why do I do this to myself? Because <laughs> it's not fun. Um, I don't really have a whole lot outside of, you know, this last race, but do you feel like, obviously, another, another Ford um, caught on fire? So there's that. Uh, what's, what does that mean for this? Uh, for, well, for this the next, next gen, gen car? you know, the next gen has been an uh, a mystery wrapped in an enigma. I think it's the phrase. Um, it's had some really good strong points and has done a lot of the things that they wanted it to do. It's cut costs. It's increased competition. We had 19 different winners this year. If, if In your mind, they probably should have been 20, right? Because Ryan Blaney could have mm-hmm. won. Um, <laughs> but it's done a lot of good things. But it's got a long way to go. Safety, you know, as far as the, you know, the hits, which they're looking into, the fires, um, competition level and finding more consistency. Um, it's, it, it was basically, as far as competition goes, the exact opposite of the Gen 6 car were that it put on great shows on the intermediate tracks and the road courses and terrible shows on the short tracks. So they've got to find a little balance in it as far as that goes. It's going to be a busy season, off season for R&D, for NASCAR to try to get these cars because they have a very small window to do that because teams have already started prepping for next year uh, and ordering parts and inventory and that kind of thing. So they're going to have to figure that out probably within the next month or two to start getting ready for day well for the clash um and then daytona and i think nascar you know next year is their 75th anniversary so they really want to get all this behind them because the last thing they want to do in the biggest middle of this year-long celebration is deal with this kind of stuff so they're going to be working really hard to try to get the next gen up to speed i don't know if there's enough time to do it but we'll see we will, in fact. Before we let you go, Heather, um, there was a meeting held last night. I'm dealing with the wasp. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I keep turning around because I, I want to make sure it's like not coming after me. It came after me yesterday. Um, there was a meeting held yesterday in Nashville in which a contract and lease was proposed to the city. And it certainly appears that it's just about a done deal that Speedway Motorsports is going to be taking over the Nashville fairgrounds. And included in that lease is a every other year, at least, a NASCAR Cup race at the Nashville fairgrounds. Yeah, it's, 
Yeah, no, it's super exciting. And, you know, Speedway Motorsports also owns Nashville. So I think their thought process, the, the big track in Nashville, the super speedway. Right. So I think their thought process is, is that they, they can't secure and se- a separate date for the fairgrounds, which I think would be their preferred is to have two dates in Nashville. But if they can't, then they will probably rotate the races back and forth between the fairgrounds and the speedway, um, which I would like to see Nashville get two dates. I think that Nashville deserves two dates. They certainly support the sport uh, about as well as any large market uh, that the sport goes to. Um, and I, I love I love the fairgrounds. I would like to see them race every year. Um, but, you know, it's exciting. It, it, it's It's exciting. Not just for Nashville, but for the NASCAR community. I mean, when you talk to the drivers, you cannot find a driver that does not love coming to Nashville to race, that does not love the idea of racing at the fairgrounds. And so the fact that this is actually going to happen now is amazing for the sport. When you've now added Nashville, you've now added North Wilkesboro back into the fold, you're now giving fans... I mean, NASCAR fans love to complain, but I just don't know how you can complain about how the schedule's working out because you're getting nope. something for the you're getting something for the new fans for the F1 kind of wine and cheese group in in the Chicago street race, and then you're getting the old school stuff for the old fans that sit around and say, "Get off my lawn! I want to go back to North Wilkesboro." Well, guess what? I'm well, off we're your back, lawn, baby. We're back at North Wilkesboro, so you're getting <laughs> something for everybody, and it's amazing. I mean, I'm I am so. I mean, we give NASCAR a lot of guff about the way things go sometimes. And honestly, you've worked in professional sports. I've worked in professional sports for a long time. NASCAR is one of the easier sports to work around um, when it comes to access, when it comes to, you know, just all sorts of different stuff for the fans, for, for the media. And so I have to give them kudos here because they've worked really hard to get this balance of what everybody's asking for in a schedule. And with the addition of the fairgrounds, I mean, they have to hit another home run. I certainly agree with you 100%. I'm certain. I, for one, am so happy to see both North Wilkesboro and the Nashville fairgrounds potentially back on the circuit. It really does kind of feel like you know the the late 80s mid 90s now i know nascar has not been in at the fairground since before then and i guess it was probably 84 85 something like that the last time they ran there and well, the um, series i mean the yeah i think in the truck maybe or it's in the car but he's the only guy but, that has um right <clears throat> Well, it's they ran, it they was, ran there until the 90s, right? And it was said, wasn't it the 90s? It, and, and this is just me going off of historian Joe Williams, <laughs> uh, who, if anyone would know, it would be him. Um, it was told to him sometime in the 80s, and I don't know exactly off the top of my head because I don't have it in front of me, that NASCAR's cup race would never return to nashville really oh yeah i've heard other people say that that they were told that um never yeah (laughs) never the long time 
never is a heck of a long time, especially when you think about which I mean NASCAR at that time was was pretty well set and and they could they could tell folks that back then. <laughs> you know? But uh Well, was, and yeah. let me just say let me just say this. Never is a word you don't want to use very often. The only time I would use it would be in this context, which is never underestimate the power of the Bruton Smith family getting what they want. Um, <laughs> beyond that, I would never, I would not say never. It's <laughs> just not, there's, there's too much unpredictability and, and, and especially, and, and beyond the Bruton Smith family, never underestimate the power of Dale senior or Dale junior getting what he wants. That's and right. Dale junior wanted North Wilkesboro <laughs> and Dale junior wanted Nashville. And by God, both those things happened. Yeah, those. It was 1984 when Joe Williams says he's a 21-year-old director of public relations at Nashville Speedway when the last NASCAR Cup Series race was completed in July. By March of 1985, the two annual events were gone to never return again, we were told. 1984 was the last Cup race held in Nashville. We're going to get another one soon, Heather. <laughs> well, I guess it's going to take probably a year and a half to two years to get the, the, the improvements yeah. in the whole Coast Cup Series. So, I guess never is 2025. That's what I'm hoping for. So, so never, never is roughly 40 years then. Yes. <laughs> Give or take. <laughs> Heather, enjoy your trip around East Tennessee covering those high school kids. We appreciate you doing that. We, we know what it's like and what it means to those kids. And, and we appreciate your time. We will talk to you very soon. Yeah. Always great to talk to you guys. Heather Williams, WCYB-TV, joining us here when we return the weirdest and wildest news from across the world and Florida on Wild and Wacky Wednesday right here. Mid-Tennessee Bone & Joint treats your orthopedic injuries and existing conditions. Our trained physicians will get you back in the game faster. Contact us at 931-381-2663 or www.mtbj.net. Hey folks, while we take a quick break from the show, I want to tell you about our friends over at Custom Stone Handlers in downtown Columbia. Ed Rich and his team at Custom Stone Handlers believe in leadership. And outside of the military, our greatest leader building platform is sports. Custom Stone Handlers proudly encourages young people to get in the game. You can contact them today at 931-490-4990 or visit customstonehandlers.com. Jones and Lang Sporting Goods here in Columbia has been outfitting teams, officials, and anybody else from T-ball to college for 50-plus years. Be sure and check them out at 931-388-8060 or online at jonesandlang.com. Jones and Lang Sporting Goods, the look of a winner. Zion Christian Academy, zioneagles.org or 931-388-5731. You can schedule your appointment. Go toward their campus. It is beautiful over there, and you're definitely going to want to see it. Again, it's zioneagles.org. Give them a call, 931-388-5731, and schedule your tour today. A game without a crowd is just a scrimmage. A performance without an audience is just a rehearsal. Without your presence, high school sports and the performing arts aren't possible. Ensure that these essential extracurricular activities continue to enrich the lives of students in Tennessee. Purchase a ticket to your local high school's game or performance. This message presented by the TSSAA. 
Mid-Tennessee Bone and Joint has been the official sports medicine provider for Murray County Schools for more than 40 years. We specialize in orthopedic injuries and our OrthoQuick walk-in service lets you bypass the ER. Visit us online at www.mtbj.net. Welcome back in Main Street Sports Today, presented by Mid-Tennessee Bone Enjoy Time. Now for the weirdest and wildest news from across the world. It is wild and wacky news. Mo, guess where we start? <laughs> I can't imagine. A 39-year-old St. Petersburg man. We That's, start not, in Saint Sa- Petersburg. We, we, That's not St. Petersburg, Russia, is it? We start in South Florida. Yeah, okay. Right? <laughs> yeah. Ish. South mm. Florida. I mean, it's definitely South Florida. Because there's a whole university there that's called that University so, of South Florida. Yeah, I go. mean it must be, it must be South Florida. Definitely not they would West know. Florida. Yeah, <laughs> a 39 year old St. Petersburg man was arrested last week for allegedly making fraudulent requests for tax refunds to the IRS and using the money to lay low. That's right. He laid low after collecting. Six point two million dollars. No, six point three million dollars. Oh, that's right. And the next day, well, he bought a two million dollar mansion and about six luxury cars. It's one way to lay low. Come on, man. Six Mercedes Benz vehicles with a total value of $843,269.32 and of course a 6,500 square foot waterfront mansion in St. Petersburg that draws no attention no (laughs) I mean I don't know what what are we doing here now come on dude I mean you have you've 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 done it you have gamed the system congratulations leave yeah. Leave. Ellie, take, do you know what leave means? Go. Take your money no. and go. Yes. Go on, take the money and run. I yeah. mean, Steve Miller did a whole song about it. Oh, what were you thinking, dude? Wouldn't. He submitted five <laughs> claims for tax refunds between August 2019 and February 2020. In total, those claims exceeded $170 million. He falsified his income and withholdings in each of the claims. Now, here's the thing. you got to have a really good CPA in order to do that. <laughs> or you are a really good CPA. That's, I mean, you either got to be one or you got to know one. And this is because this is impressive. They cut him a six point three million dollar check, Mo. Yeah. The the IRS. There's no you would never find me again. <laughs> You'd have to look awfully damn hard. I'm not gonna be wherever I was. <laughs> I mean, Jesus, what are we doing, Matthew? Come on, man. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Matthew, not the as smart as he was to get six point three million from the government, he wasn't smart enough. Not smart enough to leave. <laughs> mm, mm, mm. You catch I would me say in... poor, I, I would say poor Matthew, but no, no, no. One, he's, he's not poor, Matthew, but he's a dumb Matthew. No, yeah. Well, he he is now. Well, he he wasn't for a second. <laughs> yeah. Good point. So, uh, this next story comes from SF Gate, which I thought was not going to be. Uh, 
I didn't think this was going to be a Florida man. Turns out it is, in fact, a Florida <laughs> man. Can't get away from him. The news just went nationwide. It, What's that? Except, the San Francisco Chronicle? Uh, it's, I don't. I don't know what sfgate.com is necessarily, but yeah. How about this? TSA going through some luggage, a little bit of a foul smell, literally. <laughs> Found some raw chicken inside of luggage at the airport. Oh. oh. First of all, that's your first mistake. Hmm. The second mistake was stuffing a gun inside the the raw chicken. I heard about this. Yep, they tried to tried to smuggle the gun through TSA mm. inside mm. of a raw chicken. But here's the thing: that's the problem is you've you've opened yourself up to to the TSA here because it's raw chicken. That's, it smells. That's almost wanting to get caught. It really is. You, you just people. People are crazy, man. People are crazy. So don't don't smuggle your your guns and raw chicken. And if you get six point three mil from the government, get out. Go somewhere else. Anywhere else. You that got six point three mil. That's it. <laughs> That is our advice to you. And that is our show for the day. Appreciate you guys hanging out with us here on Main Street Sports Today, presented by Mid-Tennessee Bone and Joint. Tomorrow, we have Belmont women's basketball coach, Bart, Bart Brooks. Brooks, joining us on Coach's Corner. And much more. We appreciate you guys hanging out with us. This is Main Street Sports Today for Justin, back in the studio. Mo, I'm Chris. Have a great day. <laughs>